All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Myself and Brian are joined by a guest today. We're joined by Shannon. Uh, so Shannon was actually on my podcast. It's the right way to go now. Back when it was the health and greatness, it has since changed. Um, but we were talking about lots of different things surrounding body image and emotional eating back then. But uh, for anyone that has not... Um, listen to that podcast or maybe is unfamiliar with who you are shannon maybe you could do a little bit of an elevator pitch for yourself for any new listeners yeah sure so i would describe myself as an online coach um i used to consider myself as a nutrition coach but now i guess i just consider myself as a health um coach a little bit more broadly And I like to work with individuals, usually people who struggle a little bit with um, thinking a bit too much about food and being a little bit concerned about how they look. I help people to generally just feel better in themselves. So whether that involves a physique change or whether it involves some work on body image or relationship with food or even self-esteem, that's kind of like my primary goal to help people move towards what Gabrielle Fandaro and I have have termed flourishing health, which is just thinking about health a little bit more broadly to consider like the physical side of things, but also the psychological, social, and even the philosophical side of things as well. So getting in touch with what's really important to a person and helping them to go ahead and achieve those things that they've always wanted to achieve. And we have um, also worked together to produce a number of webinar series aimed at coaches to help coaches who want to be able to to help their own clients with these sorts of things. So um, that's kind of what I tend to spend most of my time doing um, nowadays and, you know, traveling, training a little bit when I can and yeah, just kind of having an all round good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, lead a, you lead a very interesting life um, <laughs> full of full of travel and learning and uh, getting to see lots of different places. So it's, uh, it's pretty damn cool. So obviously I'm going to tell you guys uh, about Shannon's um, social media and all that kind of stuff at the end but when you do follow her you'll see what i mean um she she's traveling all around the world and uh, getting to eat all sorts of different nice nice food and uh, seeing lots of different places so um but yeah and i can also attest to um shannon's content specifically her body image webinar i have uh I have watched it and it's, it's, it's absolutely excellent. But of course, um, a lot of the work that you do is, is brilliant. Um, Shannon, that's kind of one of the reasons that we have you on um, because I think the way you kind of structure working with someone and, you know, in, in particular, when, when you speak about being a health coach, it's very, it's nicely structured in that you're not sort of putting uh, putting someone in a particular box you have lots of different you have a you have a framework really um about how you would work with somebody and bring them towards what you describe as as flourishing health um and i suppose we can kind of talk about uh, how that works with regards to dietary interventions but also some of the more abstract coaching psychology end of things as well because obviously that's that's a uh, your wheelhouse as well so yeah i'd love to talk about that for sure mm-hmm. so i suppose um a good place to start might be if someone was to say say for example someone was to come to you and they were struggling with 
say for example they 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 had maybe some poor experiences with dieting in the past which is a very common experience that a lot of people have is you know diet culture and going through all sorts of restrictive diets and potentially there's body image issues mixed into that what are kind of some of the um some of the things that you would do whenever you're working with someone first that has had very bad experiences with diets and maybe poor body image and different things like this Mm, it really depends on what the person wants to achieve and I guess their level of awareness around the changes that may need to take place so for example now that I speak a lot to body image I have people coming to me specifically requesting to work on it. Like they acknowledge that it's a problem. Whereas I also sometimes work with people who would benefit from doing work on body image, but aren't really aware that that's the case. So it would be a different approach depending on where they're at, because if you're unaware of what's causing the the problems you're currently experiencing, it's going to be very difficult to want to address it. And many clients are very set on achieving a physique change, which is absolutely fine, can totally work towards that if people wish. But sometimes their desire to look a certain way is causing, um, I guess, a bit of a negative impact in their life in terms of maybe they're going to extreme lengths to restrict their intake. They feel like they're constantly thinking about food. They're anxious about socializing or um, not sticking to their plan. They feel very inflexible. And sometimes that gets in the way of achieving a physique change because people may be so restrictive that they end up overeating. So they're kind of left spinning their wheels. So we can't actually move towards their um, primary goal of changing their physique until we've fixed their relationship with food, which is usually a manifestation of their relationship with themselves, given that we manipulate our food intake in order to change how we look. And oftentimes, a core sort of reason behind wanting to make that change, wanting to look a certain way, is to feel better about ourselves. And funnily enough, changing our physiques doesn't directly guarantee that we're going to feel any better about ourselves. We're just going to look better. And how we feel isn't necessarily representative of how we look. It's a perception. So we can feel um, quote unquote fat and actually have very low levels of adiposity, you know, so it's not um, a case of simply just changing how you look and and knowing that that's going to do the job, which is why I like to incorporate that body image work that is more of the the psychological side of things. And as I mentioned, also touching on self-esteem. So wondering, you know, what is it that you think will happen when you look a certain way and how can we learn to sort of accept where you are at now maybe that's something that we could talk more about is self-acceptance because I feel like as soon as you say acceptance people like switch off like (laughs) what's that I'm into personal development I can't possibly (laughs) accept myself um I don't want to stagnate you know which is not what acceptance means um So helping someone to feel better about themselves where they're at now can actually facilitate 
further changes because it creates a safe space to look at faults and weaknesses. And from there, you can choose to work on them if you wish. And when somebody is self-accepting, it also means that they're choosing to change their physique because of um, a different reason rather than sort of trying to prove their worth. And it's when we attach a lot of our self-worth to how we look that we run into some of those problems around, you know, inflexible dieting and just a a general lack of low self-esteem because it's very risky sort of area to base a lot of your self-worth given that physiques change there's only so much control that you have over how you look you know you can control some inputs um, but you can't directly modify your body um, in the way that you maybe you would want there are like certain genetic limitations and just general lifestyle limitations Um, so it's a very rocky foundation for self-worth and it's contingent upon approval from others and and things like that so just helping people to find a more stable inner sort of core self-worth that they then can express in different ways so that's kind of I guess a bit about how I would approach that it depends on where someone's at with their level of awareness if they've requested the body image work we can go straight into that if they're unsure um, or very set on something that's actually kind of harming them. It's just about raising that awareness. You know, how does it make you feel to be thinking about food a lot? Is that something that you would like to change? How do you feel when you step on the scale? Do you think that that's helpful for you? What happens, you know, as a result of that feeling? How do you behave after that? And often people aren't aware you know when you talk about body image most people don't know what it is or they aren't they're not aware that it's something that you can work on because um we just sort of go for things that are tangible um easy to manipulate something that we can track and monitor and something like changing how you think about yourself isn't as easily observable because we can't see our thoughts well we can see how they manifest in our behaviors but it's not something that people are accustomed to thinking about so um, I think a little bit of education around what body image is and how it manifests in the client's life can be really eye-opening people don't realize you know what I didn't actually know that how I felt about myself impacted my life that much I didn't realize that was why I sort of always struggled to diet and I feel like I'm always on and off or why I'm so self-conscious and worried about what other people think and I'm actually holding myself back from going after the things I would really love to be able to do once people have that awareness and that hope um, and inspiration that you know you can actually work on this it's something that we can do together that's when we can start to get into some of that work and that's when people really sort of change how they feel about themselves and also how they live you know I've had people like I quit my career because I realized that you know I could do more with myself I'm like awesome you know it's it's only when you sort of change how you feel about yourself that you start to see those sorts of results in your life yeah yeah i think from the um from the body image webinar like one of the things that was pretty it was pretty profound shall we say from 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 the selection of videos was you can change the way you feel about yourself without changing the way you look and then conversely to that you can change the way you look without changing the way you feel about yourself you know you can kind of put all this work into changing your body composition and it's like i actually feel worse about myself <laughs> you know it's like it's it's like uh people don't realize they think that oh once i once i get to x weight or x body composition or 
whatever it is, then I will feel better about myself. Then I will accept myself. Then I will get all the love that I need, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know? And I think it's, it was really interesting as well that you, you obviously had one section that was on negative body image. And then there was one section on positive body image and that they weren't actually having a, not having a negative body image does not mean that you have a positive body image, which is also really interesting, you know? Um, so unless you want to speak a little bit about that as well, I think that's, that's a really interesting point to go into. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this ties in quite nicely with flourishing health as well, because we're with the, the flourishing health model. Um, I, I have an article on this for, for people that are interested in um, reading a little bit more, but I talk about physical, psychological, social, and philosophical health. And the, the reason I got interested in that was I was trying to kind of determine what would be quote unquote optimal functioning for someone to sort of feel their best and live their sort of healthiest life and kind of get the most out of their life. And it's not optimal in terms of we have to maximize everything, but just optimal in the sense of um, within the constraints of our current sort of environment and, and where we're at in our lives. And when I was doing the research into body image and I realized that negative body image is a distinct construct from positive body image, and they're not just two ends of the same spectrum, that sort of got my cog sort of turning in my head I suppose and I was thinking well if a positive body image is associated with more adaptive psychological functioning then surely if my goal is to promote flourishing health then it makes sense to incorporate body image work that is firstly designed to address a, a negative body image but also to promote a positive body image so even in individuals who don't have a negative body image would have what would maybe consider a neutral body image they would still benefit from interventions designed to enhance a positive body image potentially through in, um, increasing body appreciation so that sort of sense of gratitude and respect towards your body for what it may do for you and um, that can help to increase someone's psychological well-being even if they don't suffer from a negative body image and it's also a protective factor against developing a negative body image in the future and given our, the environment that we live in we are sort of exposed to a number of body image threats on a daily basis through what we see in the media through the conversations that people may have um, with their friends talking about appearances all the time um, through scrolling on instagram and seeing all the super fit people on your feed you know these are all sort of quote unquote threats that we may interpret in a certain way and developing a positive body image helps you to develop protective filters against those threats and that idea of developing protective factors against a number of things sort of interests me so I'm also thinking in terms of mental health like what does it mean to have optimal mental health that's distinct from mental illness you can have mental health and mental illness at the same time such as like similar to how you can have multiple emotions at the same time you know bittersweet you can be happy and sad at the same time they're not opposite ends of the same spectrum here so that kind of got me thinking as well you know what can we do to help someone to improve their mental health we're not treating or diagnosing illnesses here you know we're not stepping into the, the realm of, of therapy or anything like that but there are still things that we can do to optimize mental health and it's a bit of a I guess new way of thinking about 
how we go about improving our health because it's taking a more comprehensive or holistic approach to all of the things that actually matter when enhancing someone's health which is sort of physical and mental so yeah it started with the the concept of positive body image realizing that oh you know what even if you're not suffering from what would be considered you know an illness or a disease or a disorder there are still things that you can do to improve your your well-being so with a positive body image that's characterized by acceptance respect um, towards the body and can be enhanced through in writing exercises where you're sort of displaying gratitude compassion towards all of the functions that your body performs for you um, also engaging in certain forms of exercise that help you to sort of embody um, be more embodied in the way that you're living so experiencing the world through your body rather than looking at yourself from the outside in and objectifying yourself for how you look um, those are all sorts of ways that we can work towards a, a positive body image as well so yeah that that really interests me and I was thinking about coaching interventions like well, you know if we can put some steps in place that there are interventions that have shown that these variables can be manipulated and improved through simple like writing tasks why not just incorporate that into coaching you know if that's going to help someone I don't see why we wouldn't want to be sort of improving someone's health as much as possible um, and that sort of yeah led to them thinking about other ways that we can promote mental health even you know without even considering mental illness given that that's not our domain um, but I think there's certainly a lot of scope there which is really exciting and really interesting for me yeah that's class class um so you mentioned earlier, you know, that sometimes people don't always know that maybe they're getting into that with you when they sign up and they have a good idea of what they want. Um, and you'll obviously it'll become abundantly clear as you go on, like what it is that they need, maybe some of this stuff. And I suppose as your reputation for this kind of thing grows, then more people are going to come to you for that specifically, which I'm sure you've noticed, right? Um, and that's changed. So for somebody who doesn't know that they're coming to you necessary to work on that sort of thing, you know, at what point do you start to work on this stuff? Um, do you assess for how they are on, in terms of the positivity about their body image um, or negativity um, and just get to work straight away? Because you said there, like, it's, it's good for everybody. So do you just crack on straight away um, or how do you, I suppose, broach the topic if it's maybe if, if the person is maybe not expecting it so much? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do assess for it upon intake. So before I have a chat with someone, when they sign up, I'll send them over a pre-consultation form. And in that form, it has some psychometric testing. So I ask someone, you know, what do you want to achieve here? What are your obstacles? What have you tried in the past? What do you expect from me as a coach? Um, what, why is this change important to you? Out of all of the things you've listed that you want to achieve, what feels most urgent? So I get a very good sense of uh, the client's perspective on the changes that they want to make. But then I also use some 
more objective me measures of uh, ways of assessing someone as well. So I've incorporated different psychometric tests like the um, Rosenberg self-esteem scale or the, the tests that they use for positive and negative body image, tests on perfectionism, like the, the Frost multi-dimensional perfectionism scale. I've incorporated all of those into my pre-consultation form. So I have a good idea of someone's self-talk. Um, I've also assessed for self-compassion as well. So I understand whether someone leans towards being more critical towards themselves um, or whether they're more compassionate. And also the attitude attitudes about developing a more compassionate inner voice so do they believe that if they're compassionate towards themselves that means their standards will drop or they're going to become a weak person or maybe they don't deserve to be compassionate towards themselves because obstacles to self-compassion will need to be addressed before we can do any self-compassion work and most people are like apprehensive about um, learning to be kinder towards themselves because of our, our culture you know it, it's soft you have to be be very gritty and no pain no gain kind of mentality and we, we kind of take that out um, towards ourselves and some people just don't know how to be compassionate maybe they've never been shown that um, before so that's something that I would assess for um, perfectionism as well seems to be sometimes related to more of these restrictive eating behaviors and also wanting to look a certain way um, so I assess for that whether it's very important for someone to be like thoroughly competent in everything that they do um, and how they feel about themselves when they don't meet their expectations because with perfectionism there are healthy forms of perfectionism like there's nothing inherently wrong with having high standards but there are also unhealthy forms of perfectionism which is more so about the, the fears associated with not meeting those standards so you can set some lofty goals and, and go for them some people if they don't achieve them like oh well you know this goal was just to enhance my life or to challenge myself I still feel good about myself either way but an unhealthy perfectionist would have like a fear of failure or a fear of being wrong um, so that's something that I would assess for as well um, in terms of like adaptability like how often they feel stressed how flexible they can be with their schedule do they feel anxious in the absence of an eating plan um, do that can I eat foods if they don't know the macros of them and in terms of body image do they often complain about how they look do they compare themselves to other people do they feel satisfied with their body um, I assess for negative and positive body image so do they take a positive attitude towards their body do they um, feel attentive to their body's needs does their behavior reflect their positive attitude towards their body um, I also assess for self-worth as well because sometimes low self-esteem can be associated with these common sort of issues that I work with. Um, and in, the interesting thing about self-esteem is that low self-esteem isn't a clinical diagnosis. And the research into self-esteem is sort of very mixed in that having high self-esteem is not necessarily always an adaptive or a beneficial thing. And the interesting thing is that the people who um, need self-esteem go about achieving it in the wrong ways in that we try and change how we look or we try and um, achieve all of these accomplishments um, which as I mentioned is like a very rocky sort of foundation because it's contingent on external factors whereas those people who don't need self-esteem it's because they already sort of have it they they don't care for it so much so they feel more confident because they're not that fussed about other people's um, opinions so um, I assess for whether someone's self self-esteem depends on whether they feel attractive, whether their sense of self-worth um, suffers when they don't feel good, 
um, whether they care about what other people think, um, if they can't respect themselves, if they don't have respect from others. Um, I would also assess for food relationship as well. So how do they feel about eating in social situations? Do they find themselves eating when they're lonely, bored or sad? Um, do they feel out of control around certain foods? And then also their attitudes towards exercise. So whether they exercise to control how they look, whether they feel guilty when they skip an exercise session, because sometimes um, compensatory exercise is a thing or exercise dependency can become a thing. Um, and then social support as well. Do they have a, a supportive social environment or do they spend a lot of time with people who talk about weight loss and dieting often? Do they spend a lot of time looking at fitness, weight loss or diet related social media content? So these things are all really relevant to um, getting an understanding of, you know, how someone feels about themselves and their attitudes towards food. And I find that doing this assessment can sometimes spark a lot of like insight for clients like oh shit this speaks to everything that I've been worrying about like and they can see that it's separated into distinct areas like self-esteem like body image so that gives them an indication of well you know what maybe there is something else that I can work on here and then when a client receives access to their client folder they can see that there are a lot of learning exercises or worksheets around these specific areas I have a folder called relationship with food a folder on body image a folder on self-talk on emotions all of these sorts of topics that may be relevant to someone and they're free to have a little look around or I will um suggest these worksheets when they become relevant so if someone mentions that they felt a bit shit because they were comparing themselves to attractive people in the gym it's like oh awesome I have an exercise specifically aimed at appearance comparisons that I've drawn from the research on cognitive behavioral therapy for body dissatisfaction that I can then help a client with so we're actually doing body image work without them realizing it because they just mentioned in their feedback form that they felt crap when they compared themselves to someone so they don't have to necessarily understand what's going on sometimes I don't understand what's going on either it's very intuitive um, I think that's something that I've come to realize is as you become more proficient in helping people with these things, that it's not a step-by-step -step approach necessarily. Sometimes it's like, oh, we'll start here first, or we'll start here first, depending on what the most presenting issue is. And again, somebody's sort of readiness or even confidence within themselves about making a change. Um, so sometimes someone will be like, yep, I want to do the program. Let's go. Let's work through this stage by stage. And other times I'll just feed in a little bit of work on around these things when it becomes relevant in someone's life. And I find that both, you know, both ways of, of working are, are very effective. Yeah. It's, it's really like, there's so much that goes into it, but I think what you said there about it being an intuitive thing, you know, there's, there's like, there's like a million different roads we could go down here, but you know, let's kind of go with what presents itself to us first and what's, you know, going to be most beneficial to you um but you spoke about self-acceptance earlier on and you know i suppose self-acceptance self-acceptance self-compassion and that you know people kind of see that as like ah oh, this is just sort of like this is like soft stuff and especially for for lads it's going to be difficult for a typical male to potentially engage in in um an exercise where they're working more on their their self-acceptance and self-compassion. But I think one one thing that's very interesting is kind of 
a lot of people kind of get uh, they get bogged down in, in in some of these things because there's almost a comparison to <clears throat> you know like the law of attraction and a lot of these more you know not actually evidence based and sort of you could almost say in some cases destructive things that people engage in. But what's kind of the main difference between self-acceptance and positive self-talk and self-compassion and some of these more like law of attraction and waking up and telling yourself that you're this great person that's going to do X, Y, Z, and you only need to manifest it and it will come into existence. Tell us, (laughs) tell us the difference between that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that kind of talk out there. And the reason actually that self-acceptance is so interesting to me is because it's not just about trying to boost yourself up, you know, and trying to feel positive all the time. It's actually about taking a rational and objective look at both your strengths and your weaknesses and learning to be okay with the fact that humans are um, not infallible. Like we all have faults and that's okay. It doesn't make us a terrible person um, if we fail or if we're not good at something. That's just the way that life goes. And we can decide to either work on these weaknesses or we can decide that we don't actually care that much like I could say well one of my weaknesses is that I don't play a musical instrument I would love to be able to but right now that's not a priority to me so I don't care enough to work on it whereas I may look at other weaknesses and be like oh you know what maybe um, I'm trying to learn how to pass someone's guard more effectively and there are things that I want to work on here in terms of like jujitsu training that's a weakness of mine that I want to work on so I will choose to work towards that I don't feel like a better or worse person for the fact that I can or can't play a musical instrument or um, depending on what belt rank I am in jiu-jitsu like it's all just it doesn't matter either way so with self-acceptance it might even be a little bit more sort of palatable to people than the idea of self-compassion because they're similar but slightly different so self-compassion also has that aspect of common humanity you know recognizing that um, failures are a part of the human experience it's something that everyone goes through and self-acceptance is about sort of as I say acknowledging both your strengths and your weaknesses so self-compassion is more like the attitude that you will show towards yourself in um, times of, of setbacks or times of suffering or just like general difficulty and it's characterized by that mindfulness you know the awareness of that there's suffering going on um, I mentioned common humanity and also showing yourself kindness um, which isn't necessary for self-acceptance you don't have to embody an attitude of of kindness it's just oh this is the way that it is and I can choose to work on it or not but the beneficial thing about self-acceptance is that generally it seems that when we learn to accept ourselves we're more accepting of other people as well and then we're more accepting of life circumstances as well not having unreasonable demands that everything must always go your way because that's not the way that the world works Um, so developing self-acceptance as I say, seems to be also correlated with healthier forms of self-esteem because you're doing things then 
for, for example, when it comes to setting a goal, you're setting a goal because it's going to enhance your life in some way. Nobody likes to feel stagnant. Like I think that everyone, like there's an intrinsic drive to improve or a drive towards pleasurable experiences that we all have as humans. So learning to accept yourself doesn't mean that you're going to become complacent, that you're going to give up because I don't think anyone would be satisfied with that anyway. But it's about setting goals for the right kind of reasons. And then when you do experience a setback, you're able to work on that because you're not sort of feeling ashamed and frightened and fear, fearful that people may judge you. You're like, okay, that is what happened. Let me understand what went wrong. You're more curious about it. And again, that's kind of where that attitude of mindfulness comes in. You can have that non-judgmental curiosity of, oh, that didn't go the way that I thought it would. I wonder why that's the case. Let me kind of think about it, reflect on it a little bit. And then then change something about that moving forward so it's just a very I guess more a much more stable foundation of self-worth um, that actually can be pretty conducive to self-improvement which is I guess contrary to what people may think and if you're interested in learning more about it and you're like oh this sounds good not really sure how evidence-based it is then I recommend checking out the research of Albert Ellis and rational emotive behavior therapy which is kind of like the precursor to cognitive behavior therapy and he has a book titled the myth of self-esteem that I would really recommend um, and that's kind of his more philosophical perspective on developing self-acceptance um, I think he was a very big fan of like stoic philosophy um so it's kind of you guys probably would enjoy it a little bit as well um but yeah checking out the the research on uh, rational motive behavior therapy and how we can adjust our um potentially irrational demands that we may have on ourselves on other people and on the world and learning to assert those demands more flexibly in the, the form of preferences. So rather than demanding of yourself that you must achieve this, this one goal, it's about saying, you know, I would prefer to achieve that goal, but if I didn't, then that's okay. I can be okay with that too. My, my whole world wouldn't be destroyed if I um, didn't achieve this one thing because my life doesn't sort of depend on it. Yeah, I think um, I'll accept a, I'll accept a brown belt. If I get a brown belt, I'll be all right. Like a black belt, you know, I'm not going to be annoyed if I don't get the black belt, but a, a brown belt will be will be okay. <laughs> so that that would be it. <laughs> so I like the way you threw in a wee bit of jujitsu there. Um, but yeah, no, that's um, Albert Ellis. Did you say that was the the author of that book? Was it? Yeah, Albert Ellis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm reading a book at the moment, the philosophy of cognitive behavioral therapy by Donald Robertson, who's a prominent kind of proponent of stoicism and yeah it's it's constantly referring to uh or ebt and also cbt as well so yeah it's it's just all beck and ellis and then uh you know seneca and the boys you know that are the the, the real ogs um in that sort of stuff um i was gonna ask you like do you ever find that the people who maybe need to do this stuff the most are resistant to it and if so maybe it's not the case but it's something i often find in practice and if so what do you tend to do about that like you can see that these things are limiting factors for people but they kind of don't want to go there it's like you know no i don't want to go with that self-acceptance crap or that self-compassion crap um 
like, essentially taking the the mindset that we we're kind of alluding to where it's like this is kind of soft work and it's it's not the real deal and i just want to focus on you know grinding towards my goals and, and that's that you know does that come up a lot for you maybe it doesn't because you know maybe people know who you are and what you do at this point um but just curious to hear what you what you think about that yeah i mean it still comes up for sure and i tend to expect that because again if if people were totally open to it and already knew what to do, then they probably wouldn't be requesting help. So if someone is apprehensive about doing the work that would be beneficial, it's like, cool, you know, I kind of expected that anyway. Why is that the case? Because they want the outcome. Everyone wants to feel better about themselves, but there's a reason why they may think that the approach that I would be suggesting isn't appropriate for them. So for example, with the self-compassion, people have barriers against developing self-compassion. Either they don't believe that it's gonna be helpful or they don't know what to do, or they're scared, as I say, that they're gonna become complacent if they become more compassionate towards themselves. So it's about understanding firstly why someone is apprehensive um, about that kind of change. Um, and then maybe illustrating, I like what they do with acceptance and commitment training, that experience of like creative helplessness. So showing someone, well, what you're currently doing hasn't worked for you so far are you willing to sort of try something new so it has to start with the client recognizing oh you know what like I, I am spinning my wheels here and what's the harm in trying something even if I don't believe in it 100% because that's usually what has to happen before you can believe in something you know people are like oh when it makes sense to me I'll, I'll do that but which you know is very valid and I think that educational component is important too but also you know even if you're not sure it would work what's the harm in giving it a go given that what you're currently doing isn't working is it something that you would be willing to do together um so I think yeah a combination of eliciting that awareness uh, of showing them that well you're kind of spinning your wheels here here's an alternative what are your objections to that let's work through those objections now how do you feel about it that is usually sort of the method that I would go about to, to help someone um, come around to the idea of oh actually I can see the benefit in this now because if I'm suggesting something it's not because like I want people to do it for the sake of it. There's a reason behind it. It's like, oh, I've noticed this problem. I've got this different vantage point to you. I can see what would be helpful. Now it's just about showing you that perspective that you may not have because it's very difficult to see these things within ourselves. Yeah, it's like you're in your practitioner toolbox. It's like a tool that you have. And I suppose some people, as you said, they might not even be aware that this is an issue for them. And then it's like, you know, you kind of like show them potentially um, some of the exercises that, could, that they could do and some of the benefits of doing so. But it's not like, as you say, it's not just done for the crack. It's uh, it's got uh, it's got intention in it. Um, so yeah, like I suppose with the with like society at the moment, obviously we have a lot of. Um, there's a lot of focus on physical attractiveness and conventional attractiveness. And if, if we had say somebody listening to this and they were very bogged down in com comparison to other people and 
potentially they have some negative body image issues. What's kind of, obviously, other than actually going to a coach like yourself, <laughs> what would be an actual, what would be some, a good place for the, for that person to start in terms of working on some of these things to move them towards more psychological health and flourishing health, as you say? Yeah, in terms of appearance comparisons specifically, I think firstly noticing when you're doing it and sort of asking yourself, what am I comparing myself to here? Because when we're comparing how we look to how other people look, we're actually objectifying them as well by sort of reducing them down just to their external appearance. So I think thinking about what am I actually comparing myself to and is this comparison biased is a, a, like thinking about your thinking styles, like a metacognitive um, thinking essentially. So why are you focusing on one sort of aspect of how someone looks? What are you negating to think about? And I think when it comes to appearances, it's really interesting because we seem to, like many people seem to believe that their body represents something about themselves. Like, oh, you know, when I'm lean, it shows that I'm disciplined. It shows that I'm a hard worker. And it's, it's interesting because when you understand about how many sort of factors go into one's ability to regulate their eating in terms of like the psychology behind it, biological influences, external influences like your environment, your families, like you don't have full control over a lot of those things. You didn't choose the family that you were born into. You didn't choose your environment that has an impact on, on how you think, on, on how you behave. Um, so arguably, there's very limited sort of, I guess, self-worth that you could get out of your ability to, to not that physique changes don't take effort and all the rest of it. But it's like, why would you place so much self-worth in something that you have X amount of control over rather than sort of full control? And what about thinking about the characteristics that are important to you that your body can't display? What about kindness? You can't tell how kind someone is by looking at how they look. What about generosity? Um, all of these sort of more honorable, um, I guess, character traits can't be seen visibly. They can only be embodied through the way that we behave. And I think that is something that I would encourage people to think about, like, who do you want to be, and then start living in accordance with that, and your body will sort of fall into place. And again, you can set yourself specific physique goals and work towards those. It's not the goals themselves that are harmful, but it's like your reasons behind them and the amount of weight that you place on them. So when you're focusing primarily on being the type of person that you want to be, that's going to be taking up the majority of your time, energy, and attention setting a little physique goal you know beyond that is awesome like go for it do whatever you want to do but don't lose sight of the overarching picture of who you want to be um and again that's sort of i guess embodied in acts that have nothing to do with your dietary intake or your exercise routine you know like doing things for other people or being patient um being accepting towards others like these are all sorts of things that you can do that have nothing to do with how you look and when you get in touch with what's important to you um for example doing some like values clarifications so thinking about the type of person that you want to be and how you want to live you can then orient your attention towards that and make sure that whatever you're doing is in alignment with the person that you want to be. And I think that's how you're going to feel better about yourself as well, because you, you know that you're doing things for yourself um, and that 
your actions as a whole represent who you are, not just how you look. Because again, there's only so much that you can tell by looking at someone. It's actually like very little at all. You know, someone could be a total asshole but have a dream body. And are you really going to be interested in, in being their friend or being around them? Maybe not. And we all kind of understand this on a cognitive level, but you have to, to live according to that belief as well. So if you're telling yourself, yeah, I understand on a rational level that when I'm at the end of my life I'm not going to be worrying about you know how defined my abs were but if you're continuously um, checking how you look continuously weighing yourself or restricting your eating or feeling anxious about eating out with friends you're not living as if you believe that your appearance isn't that important you know if you're confirming actually through your behaviors that it does matter so if you can understand on a rational level that there's more to life than looking a certain way you have to live like there's more to life than looking a certain way which involves changing some of these behaviors so I think just having like honestly everything sort of starts with that awareness and that self sort of reflection so I think having a little think about who do you want to be and what do you want to achieve and you know where does your body really come into that I think can help because again it's not about not changing how you look it's more about making sure that the other areas of your life aren't diminished in that pursuit so maybe a rejiggling of some priorities may need to take place in terms of the amount of importance that you place on these things and how much time energy and attention you dedicate to changing your physique at you know in expense of other things so what else is important to you as a person and can you set some goals in these other areas of your life as well and if you can juggle all of that then it's probably because you've got a good balance going on but as I say you may need to if you're really struggling you know do some, some further work on this if you feel like your body image is holding you back work on that first that you have that free mental space to dedicate towards up other things afterwards um but yeah just having a general think about what's actually important to me as a person you know who do I want to be and how can I start living that way now um it's something that you don't have to wait to, till you've achieved your ideal body in order to do that yeah yeah I think that that values clarification is one of the most important things I think a human can do at any point. And, you know, since I came across it, like a good few years ago now, but you just, you, you do it with people and you see the difference that it makes. Uh, you know, you mentioned that yourself, like people can just fly off into their kind of career directions once they get this kind of awareness of like, Oh, this is actually who I want to be. Um, I often ask people like to imagine if like the world was entirely blind and we couldn't see each other, what then is important? Like, who do you want to hang around with in that context? Because you can't just say, I just want to hang around with hot people. Uh, You know, what, what happens then? And same thing for yourself. It's like, what kind of person are you actually trying to be in this context? Because no one can see what you look like anymore. Um, So, you know, what then becomes important? And again, I think people intuitively know this stuff but until you can take that focus away from oh it's just just what you look like and then look naturally the maybe you can you can comment on this as well Shannon but naturally this whole say biological imperative as it relates to attractiveness does come into it realistically right um and people will say like, you know, look, especially I find this especially the case with younger people, right, rather than older people. So maybe they're not as secure in themselves and their place in the world, let's say. 
and what where they want to go and what they want to do, etc. But they may say, look, you know, I feel like I have to be in good shape because otherwise uh, people won't want to be with me. You know, people won't want to be my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Um, and like, you know, when I'm talking to people about this, it's like, okay, that's, you know, it is valid, right? We can't say it's not, it doesn't exist, um, evolutionarily speaking. But, you know, I tried to ask them, like, well, do you know anybody who's not in class shape who has a boyfriend or a girlfriend, right? Is there anybody you can think of? Either people you know or people like, you know, people in the celebrities and shit, like in the public eye, like surely that is the case. And if so, well, why are they, you know, worthy of having a partner if they aren't in like, you know, they don't have ripped abs all the time? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's definitely an element of truth to that, like from an evolutionary perspective, because appearance ideals aren't new. They just sort of manifest in different ways. So previously, you know, think back to sort of King Henry VIII, like it was in fashion to be plump and like you associated with wealth and richness. Like that was a look that people found desirable. Um, Yeah. So like appearance ideals aren't new they're just different now and we're seeing like the the rise of that muscular and lean ideal because that's currently idealized um so there is definitely like an element of truth to wanting to look a certain way and, and having that kind of evolutionary advantage in terms of attracting a mate but i just wonder to to what extent you know like we're going to such extreme lengths to look quote unquote good when's good good enough like when's good when is looking a certain way enough to um, maximize all of those evolutionary advantages? It's probably not that much, not as much as we would think in terms of, well, you know, I'm not good enough yet. Or how do you know? Like we have no sort of mechanism of evaluating or weighing that up. And I think our tendency is to probably err on the side of placing too much weight on that. Um, and as you say, there are definitely other characteristics that are attractive too. And I think like, what about laughter? You know, that's generally pretty attractive when someone feels comfortable in themselves and they're nice to be around. They make you feel comfortable. They, they're happy. They can laugh. Like that to me is attractive. And that's not really a a look. It's not a physique either. It's just a characteristic. So I I tend to think um, about those things as well. So yeah, that would kind of be my answer. It's like, well, how do you know when's good, when good is good enough? And how would you assess that? And I think if your goal is to increase your attractiveness, the desire, then the underlying desire or the value is like that connection, that um, experience of being with somebody else. Well, how about working on that directly? You know, what else makes a good partner? Again, someone that's able to listen, someone that communicates well, someone that probably regulates their own emotions pretty well. Well, you can work on all of those things as a person. That's actually like a, a new area of research that I intend to get into is sort of interpersonal functioning. Um, It kind of relates to body image, kind of relates to self-esteem, but also would relate to sort of flourishing health is having those deep sort of social connections, knowing, you know, the association between like loneliness and and morbidity and things like that. So that's like kind of one of my next avenues to explore is like, how do we enhance interpersonal functioning? Um, So if that's the goal, I want to be attractive so I can find a mate, Focus on finding a mate, you know, don't pin all your hopes on um, being attractive and hoping that works. 
go directly to what you want and figure out why you want that and and things that are probably more effective at, at getting what you want yeah yeah i think it maybe comes back to how the person feels about themselves right and they're expecting that looking a certain way will make them feel the way that they think they need to feel to go and find a partner whereas you know, you can still be lean and still be super insecure and, you know, struggle to talk to people and everything else. And it doesn't actually solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think you can tell whenever you're speaking to someone initially, at least, you know, what if they have that sort of aura of confidence about them, and a lot of people think that a prerequisite to that is, oh, you need to be in sick shape, bro. And it's like, okay, you can actually work on that self-confidence and sort of all the little threads that that's linked into um, without obviously, as, as, you, as you were saying, having to get into great shape. Now, that's not to say that, because I actually posted about this in the, in the triage um, client group uh, the other day. Um, you know, you can still like change your body composition and that can still be a very positive experience, um, for someone. And it can still be a, a transformational experience. Cause I, I know that personally for me, like definitely whenever I actually changed my body, um, you know, initially from before I started lifting to, you know, have more muscle, leaner, fitter, stronger, etc. It definitely does help your confidence but i think it's just working i think that that values exercise sort of clarifying your values and then seeing what's important to you and then trying to be consistent with that um is is definitely um what's going to help you better in the long term you know um but i suppose kind of moving over towards your framework shannon of intentional eating because i do kind of want to touch on that just briefly because obviously we talked a lot about body image and stuff like that over the last while and we don't want to keep you all morning i'm sure you've other things to do um but can you can you tell us a little bit about the um the the intentional eating framework that uh, that you use with clients and kind of some of the differences because obviously it's kind of like in this it's a, it's it's a nicely designed in this four quadrant um framework as i say and obviously there's there's lots of different considerations with regards to that but could you give us a little bit of a summary and potentially who might benefit from going in a particular direction whenever we consider this intentional eating framework yeah for sure so intentional eating is something that gabrielle and i have conceptualized to sort of represent the different approaches to nutrition modification that we can take with a client and it is pictureized in the form of a quadrant so we've got um, differences between internally regulated styles of eating versus externally regulated styles of eating and some styles that are more geared towards weight modification and other styles that are more geared towards weight neutral approaches and we wanted to kind of speak to this a little bit more to show that there are like a number of different ways that we can go about changing our eating behaviors um, and with different outcomes as well and it's not the case that we have 
to pick one approach and stick to it, but that a certain client may benefit from a range of nutritional approaches. For example, somebody may be um, feeling a little bit restrictive in their eating, currently hung up on tracking macros. Awesome. Well, let's start there if that's where you want to start and learn how we can be a bit more flexible around that. And maybe as we address some of these barriers, such as like a fear of fat gain, we can transition towards a more internally regulated approach is probably going to be more adaptive for this person in this situation. So it's about understanding which approach is appropriate for whom in a specific context and knowing that those contexts um, may change. So Intentional eating is about understanding clients' preferences, their own experience and their goals so that we can combine all of that, understand what somebody enjoys doing, what they want to achieve and what sort of worked well for them in the past to determine what approach would be most um, appropriate for them. So it could be um, tracking macros, it could be hunger training, it could be intuitive eating, mindful eating or other tools that enhance awareness of adaptive eating patterns. Um, But I think it's quite fruitful for a client to learn a number of different ways to regulate their eating some that are external and some that are internal too so they have a wide range of tools available to them so they can adapt to different circumstances and different goals so we sort of I guess spoke more about this when seeing you know debates about does macro tracking cause eating disorders or you know is it okay to to want to modify my body or um should we all just know how to eat like there's a lot of sort of misinformation and confusion about what would be quote unquote most optimal so we've come up with this sort of framework or this spectrum to just illustrate well actually all of these approaches have utility it's just about understanding what is most appropriate at any given point in time um so sort of moving away from dogmatic styles of thinking or um, styles of of coaching towards something that's more flexible and adaptive um so that's kind of where the intentional eating came from yeah it's 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 nice Kind of as we were saying earlier when we were talking about the um the tools in your toolbox, you know, I think um often many people will be listening to this, they kind of feel like oh they need to track macros or they need to follow this particular approach. And in in reality, there's obviously utility for many different approaches, but it just depends on where you are and what you want and kind of what's best for you, I suppose, in this, in this particular uh, moment in your life, whatever it is. Cause as I say, like, you know, you might be in a, you might be in a time in your life where it might be good for you to say, for example, go into a fat loss phase and track macros and achieve that kind of a result and that kind of a goal. And that might be really good for you. There might be another time in your life where that might not be so good for you. And, a more intuitive approach where you focus less on using this external tool of, of my fitness pal and, and work on the, the more internal cues is definitely more, more beneficial. And I, and I would say most of the time you would be better off with you using your internal cues. There's obviously going to be times where utilizing my fitness pal, say for example, someone that's trying to learn about nutrition the numbers around nutrition, maybe using as using my fitness pal as an accountability tool, that's all going to be helpful. But for most people, I think, because that's what me and Brian use with a lot of our clients is a lot of mindful eating and intuitive eating practices, because I think 
you know we 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 lose the uh, the ability to use our inter- to to tune into our internal signals and um i think working on that with with, with people is, is definitely important but um if say someone was to let's let's take for example somebody that's really sort of like hyper focused on using my fitness pal and they see that okay this is probably not good for me i am i'm probably maybe a little bit too focused on using this it's sort of become a little bit obsessive i'd like or i am at least interested in taking a look at a more intuitive approach what's kind of can you give us an idea of what that journey might look like for someone yeah so I guess firstly, it would be about understanding why they're still currently macro tracking, because there's a reason for it. You know, nobody likes feeling restrictive, but macro tracking in those circumstances usually gives someone a sense of control. It's like, well, if I stop macro tracking, I'm going to gain a bunch of weight. I can possibly learn intuitive eating, even though I feel a bit distressed where I'm at right now. So I think it's important to realize that when someone's struggling, they're they're probably getting some benefit or the macro tracking, the food tracking is serving some sort of function for them. So it's about understanding that first and foremost. If someone feels like they want to sort of transition to a more internally regulated approach, but are too scared to give up macro tracking, it could be because they have a fear of fat gain or they have a need sort of for control. Um, And that needs to be addressed first before we can even consider what intuitive eating sort of looks like. You know, what do you think would happen when you stop tracking macros? Is there any evidence to to suggest that may happen? You know, oh, I I feel like I'm going to gain fat. Or have you ever sort of eaten before without tracking macros? Probably like in the past before you learned about MyFitnessPal, you know, Um, did you struggle then? You know, was that a problem for you? Understanding the fears so that you can work on them step by step, I think is really important. And usually this sort of involves a bit of body image work as well. Like why is the idea of gaining fat so terrible? Like what do you think are the consequences of, of gaining fat or losing your physique? Um, And what do you think the actual likelihood of that happening is? And then also, what is the consequence of not doing anything differently? You know, the the problem that macro tracking is currently causing in your life, because if it wasn't causing a problem, there'd be no need to move away from it and carry on, have fun. But clearly there's a problem here. And that's why we're interested in learning more internally regulated ways of eating. And it's good to hear that you guys are, are pretty like on top of that as well, because I think that macro tracking has become a little bit of a default and it's generally not necessary for a very large majority of people. So it's a, why would you make that your go-to option when it has some potential risks, particularly for individuals who show like high levels of shape concern, which is like a lot of people who are looking to change their weights. It's like, oh, okay, here's a risky sort of intervention for an at-risk client. Why would that be the go-to if it's not necessary? So I think um, being more comfortable with giving sort of or offering um, other ways of eating is very important and helping someone to come around to that by seeing like the benefits of, you know, why would you want to learn how to internally regulate your eating style? Well, potential benefits are that you may be thinking less about food. You may be able to respond more adaptively to your needs. That involves meeting your um, needs through sort of things that are going to best suit them. So not just always like turning to food or not feeling like you're always on a diet 
diet, um, thinking more sort of mindfully, being more aware of what you're eating. Like these are all great sort of reasons to want to learn how to internally regulate your eating. And also because then you have the best of both. You can choose to use a, a food tracking app if you wish, if that becomes relevant to your goals. And when I think when you're comfortable with internally regulating your eating, you're probably more comfortable with externally regulating it as well because you don't have that fear of, well, you know, this is my only thing. I can only possibly um, control how I look if I um, control my food intake. You know, that sort of desire tends to go away and actually um, intuitive eating approaches are associated with positive body image. So um, that could be something to bear in mind as well. It's like when you start to feel better about yourself, you're probably going to feel more relaxed around your food um, and vice versa. When you're relaxed around your food, you may feel better about yourself. So um, many reasons to want to transition it's just about understanding the obstacles and then working on those so usually as I say it's that fear of fat gain that holds people back which is where the body image work would come in awesome awesome um I don't think we should keep you too much longer Shannon because uh need to be respectful of your time um so I'm just going to maybe wrap it up here if everyone's cool with that um with like a couple of short questions how how is your jiu-jitsu training going on the road now that you are on it's the road it's a little bit more difficult on the road because here in germany I, I didn't realize i think they've only just sort of recently opened up and many um places aren't accepting new members they're just like keeping their current clientele but we have booked our accommodation in berlin right next to um a Grote academy we're literally like 15 minutes away and i've checked out their timetable and it looks sick so hopefully my my jiu-jitsu will be back on um back coming back um soon and when we get back to bali like it's gonna be yeah gonna be whizzing for it so um <laughs> there are definitely some limitations i mean there i'm luckily the my partner that i'm traveling with trains as well so i've always got someone to drill with if i want to um which is nice so there's that and the the weightlifting is like going okay like it's, it's fine to adapt the you know hotel gyms aren't ideal but that's the thing as well about having sort of like multiple things going on it's like knowing that at some point in your life like one thing isn't going to be optimal it's like yeah you may sacrifice optimal training for the the pros that come with traveling it's like cool I can just focus on the fun that I'm having with traveling and then when I get back to Bali I'll focus on the training again you know and it's all good either way there's no rush to to like improve you know get a belt within a a certain time frame or anything so yeah I am looking forward to getting back into it in Berlin just because it's fun and I like the striking as well um so I do a bit of um, Muay Thai and um, Jiu Jitsu and then just weight training to support those things um, yeah looking forward to, to getting back and getting back into it more consistently for sure very very good um, I think I don't think you mentioned this in your intro but you are also a bibliophile right mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> so how much uh, or what are you reading at the moment I suppose one question and then I'm just curious for myself these are mostly selfish questions um but how much time do you allocate or spend per day reading generally outside of say research reading 
Yeah, I have no idea. It's really difficult to say because I just kind of like tend to pick up a book when when the time feels right, you know. Um, I just finished Awakenings by Oliver Sacks, which I totally recommend. He's like a super cool, uh, he was a super cool guy. He was also into traveling, did a bit of weightlifting. Um, he's a neurologist. And Awakenings is an account of like some case studies of um, patients he was working with who had basically sort of spent large proportions of their um, life suffering from like a a sleeping sickness where they were like basically comatosed um, for a period of time and they're like awakening again and it's sort of like an insight into human nature and the human experience and um, I really like the attitude that he takes towards approaching um, patients like as individuals and being like genuinely curious about their experience and I think that's something that I resonate with a lot you know in terms of coaching um, so Oliver Sacks I would just like totally recommend any of his work he's awesome um, so that that's one that I just finished I think I might pick up next um, I think it's called Mind on fire and it's an account of artistic like creativity and the association that it has with like mental illness um, which I find really interesting a couple of good reads actually on that topic would be um, I read Eric Kandel's book on the disordered mind which talks about different um brain disorders like schizophrenia or dementia and again what that sort of tells us about the human experience um he had a chapter on creativity as well um what else did i read oh and i recently read um mind on fire is that the one Kay jameson someone um she's a, a professor um who was suffering from manic depressive illness and that was really interesting to me i just i that seems to be like the route that i've gone down is learning about like those sorts of things just find it like really fascinating again because i think it's like an insight into human nature um and yeah speaks a lot to the human experience so that could i tend to read multiple books at once though so I, I may pick up um, the, the one on art and, and brain disorders, but I also, it sort of depends because something will happen in my life uh, and I have a book for it, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, oh, now's the time to, to read that. And then I like pick it up and I dip in and sometimes dip back out and read something else. Like it depends on the, the type of book that I'm reading, but I can like get a lot out of just reading a few pages and I'm like, oh, damn. And then I like thinking a lot. And then I'm like, I pause. I don't just like carry on reading to just like read through it. So it's not really, I guess, like formulaic. I don't have like a reading goal to to tick off before the end of the year or whatever, because it's just about what do I want to know and what am I interested in right now? And that sort of changes all the time. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see. It'll be on my Instagram either way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if... Sorry, go on, Brian. I was just going to say, uh, if you're ever stuck for a gym, like at least you just have to carry all your books around and that'll keep you strong. <laughs> Tell you what, like whenever we have to move our luggage, uh, I've got so much shit, but I think it's because like that's like my worldly possession. So when you look at it that way, it's not that bad, but just moving from place to place is definitely a pain in the ass. <laughs> if we knew that we could get back into Bali when we left, like I wouldn't have had to bring all of my like possessions and we could have traveled with a backpack and that would have been totally cool. But yeah, for now, it's definitely a workout. <laughs> you're not you're not on that Kindle life just yet. 
Well, I have got an iPad. I recently got a, an iPad Pro for like the um, purposes of reading research on the go. Um, it's actually it's really good. I totally recommend. And I have basically access to any ebook that I could ever want. My Google Drive is like crazy. I mean, I shared that website with you, I think, previously. Zlive.org. Yeah. It's like that's the yeah. secret weapon. You can find yeah, it. We might there. we might have to censor that now. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> They keep asking me for donations. I'm like, yeah, probably shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually did donate to them because I was like, ah, oh, this is just, like, <laughs> the value I am getting out of this yeah. website is like, it's criminal. Crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. So it's like, well, I have literally at my fingertips access to anything that I could possibly want to know, um, and it's portable. So yeah, um, I may transition more to the. Kit. I think I need at least like one or two physical books on me, but it's getting like mm. kind of crazy the amount I tend to mm. carry around. So. It's difficult though when you don't have a place to drop them, you know. So I'm like, I'll just take them all then, I guess. <laughs> Make it work. So I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up kind of with um, something a little bit more about you because I think obviously we we know kind of from listening to you that you're really really into a lot of the the psychological stuff and the philosophical stuff. And I know we've spoken kind of um, on Instagram about. Uh, kind of going back to college and doing x course doing y course what is what's in the future for you what's kind of like obviously you have shannon that wants to travel and then i'm sure you have shannon that wants to continue to develop professionally um but what's kind of like have you got any anything planned for the next i'm not going to go as far as five years but maybe over the next few years kind of on that end of things yeah, it's difficult to say. Um, on that topic, actually, I would totally recommend that you read Narcissus and Goldman by Herman Hesse. Um, it's sort of on that, like he's got a two characters. One's um, like a, a wayward traveler and one's more of like living the, the scholarly life. And it's about the conflict between the two. And I was like, mm. damn, this is me. Like all over. <laughs> um, but I think for like the next few years, I actually received some really helpful advice and it was don't make a decision until you need to make a decision so in terms of going back to study it's like yeah that's probably on the cards at some point like maybe I'd be interested in doing an MRes or um whatever but at the moment like I feel like I'm learning so much and able to help people in ways that I can through what I'm doing currently so a lot of my education is self-directed but I have access to people, you know, like mentors, um, much like you would have teachers or lecturers at, in an academic institution. It's like I get that same thing through what I'm doing currently and I can direct it myself because I know what I'm looking for in terms of if I have questions that need answering I don't need to waste time learning a curriculum that's broad and just trying to accommodate as many people as possible it's like I can choose what I need to know right now um and with this sort of framework, like it helps to orient, guide, and direct my, my learning because I want to know what, um, you know, if all these things seem to be important to health, okay, well then how can we improve those things? Which variables can we manipulate, measure, and modify? So I can guide my direction that way. You've got Sci-Hub, you know, there's ways to access research online. You even can look at university courses and download their reading lists and then discuss this with people if you have the, you know, the right sort of connections or circles whatever discuss these with people who are also learning more about these topics so there's like ways to do it and it's not because I have anything against 
going back and studying. It's just that it's not conducive to my lifestyle right now. You know, it's just like, all right, then I guess this is just the path I've ended up on. I'll, I'll just keep going this way until it works. So for the next few years, I've got certain research areas I'd like to continue to explore. Right now I'm working on self-esteem, um, so understanding what low self-esteem is. And again, the, the conflict in the research and how we can best bolster an optimal or a healthy version of self-esteem which is kind of where like the self-acceptance comes in as well um so that's something that i'm exploring along with as i say like interpersonal functionings so that you'll probably hear me talking about those topics more in the future um, so that's where like my research is going. I'm also doing further training and motivational interviewing. It would be nice, I think, to be certified by Mint at some stage. So some it's of my tough, yeah, yeah, some of my um, professional development would be in that direction. In terms of like personal development, I just yeah, as I say, like read things that I find interesting and relevant at the time. Um, there's no sort of structure. I think there's a lot of value in just exploring things that you're curious about um, as well. So that's definitely a thing for me. Um, we'll be heading back to Bali within probably the next month, and. They're just like general like life goals. I think we may be starting a restaurant over there just for the fun or potentially a coffee house or something. So that's just like something oh, might as well. Like, why not? Um, and maybe there'll be a bit of travel thrown in. Um, it's quite nice. Like I like going back to Bali and then just focusing on like getting some things done. So I have like some some webinars that I'd want to produce whilst I'm there. Um, and then I can just like poodle around the world again. <laughs> that's kind of yeah, it's nothing sort of set in stone. It's just seeing what feels relevant at the time and, and going until something else comes up, you know? Yeah. You're, you're making kind of, you're making the best of, of every situation that you're in, which is, which is class. Um, but yeah, so we'll wrap it up. Shannon, if someone wants to read more of your work or have a chat with you or potentially look about coaching or get involved in some of your webinars, how might they go about doing that? Yeah, I guess the best place to keep up with everything that's going on is probably on Instagram, which is at ShannonBeard underscore. And then in my bio, I have links to my website, ShannonLBeard.com, which is where you'll find a bunch of articles and some of the things that we've discussed, as well as the, the body image webinar series or information about coaching or even mentoring as well. If you're a coach and you know you sort of want to learn about how you can achieve these changes with your clients and make more impact in their life, then I do do one-on-one. Um, mentoring as well so yeah either um, instagram or my website would be the best place to find out more super super well thank you very much for spending some time with us this morning um and having a chat it was a lot of fun uh brian have you anything to add before we sign off uh no just say thanks so much Anne, for joining us what a way to start the day um i would definitely recommend anyone who listens to this to go and follow shannon because uh it's a travesty that she doesn't have 10k or 100k followers yet i just want that damn swipe up things yeah <laughs> go check it out <laughs> yeah i don't think there's anyone more deserving uh it's definitely one of my favorite accounts um on the insta webs so yeah get on it awesome thanks guys always good to catch up Sweet guys, thank you very much for listening and uh, as always, we'll catch you guys in the next one. Bye.